If you have your Bibles, we are in Mark chapter 11. This is week 11 of 16-week journey through the gospel of Mark. And believe it or not, <clears throat> I'm a little loud. Can you guys uh, bring the captain down a little bit? Believe it or not, chapter 11 is about three years into Jesus' earthly ministry. So from chapter 1 to chapter 11, that's three years. And I say that because a lot of times people don't realize that when you're reading the Bible, you're, re you're reading mostly highlights. It's like Sports Center. Right? It doesn't give you every single detail. But 11 chapters have covered three years of Jesus' earthly ministry. And I say that too because a lot of times people say, I read the Bible, how come things are not happening as quick as in the Bible? I'm like, no, you're, you're reading highlights. They had Mondays, you know. <laughs> they had Tuesdays, you know. They have Wednesdays too. They had Thursdays. They had waiting time. They had sowing time. But also they had reaping time. Amen. And so it's a journey. And here we are in Mark 11, which is the beginning of the final act, if this was a play, this is the final act of Jesus' earthly ministry. If you've been reading along, you've been noticing that he's been hinting at coming to Jerusalem. He's been saying, I'm going to Jerusalem, and I'm going to die in Jerusalem. I'm going to be arrested in Jerusalem. I'm going to be tried in Jerusalem. I'm going to be mocked in Jerusalem. I'm going to be deserted. In Jerusalem, and here we are, Mark 11, he's in Jerusalem, and I want to pick up from verse 12 this morning, and we're going to work our way back and forward in this chapter this morning. The Bible says this in verse 12, the next morning, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Jesus got hungry too. That's a good thing. You guys can go ahead and put the scriptures up so we can follow along. Let me go back one verse, verse 11. So Jesus came to Jerusalem and into the temple. After looking around carefully at everything, he left because it was late in the afternoon. Then he returned to Bethany with the 12 disciples. The next morning, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. He noticed a fig tree in full leaf a little way off. So he went over to see if he could find any figs. But there were only leaves because it was too early in the season for fruit. Then Jesus said to the tree, may no one ever eat your fruit again. And the disciples heard him say it. Verse 15, when they arrived back in Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people, buying and selling animals for sacrifices. How would you like to be in that church service? <laughs> he knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves, and he stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace. He said to them, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer. For all nations. 
but you have turned it into a den of thieves. Verse 18, when the leading priests and teachers of religious law heard what Jesus had done, they began planning how to kill him. But they were afraid of him because the people were so amazed at his teaching. That evening, Jesus and the disciples left the city. The next morning, as they passed by the fig tree he had cursed, the disciples noticed he had withered from the roots up. Peter remembered what Jesus had said to the tree on the previous day and exclaimed, Look, Rabbi, the fig tree you cursed has withered and died. And that's the word of the Lord. Can you say amen? Uh, This is going to be one of those teaching. So I hope you're taking notes because we got a lot to cover here. And I'm going to title this talk, The End of Fruitless Religion. The End of Fruitless Religion. We're going to cover a lot here. It's a crockpot message. But there's a lot here that Jesus is doing. If you go back to the beginning of this chapter, Jesus comes into Jerusalem, and it's a, what we call the triumphant entry of Jesus, as he was celebrated as a king coming into town. And this was a typical thing in that time period where kings would win certain battles, they would come back in their horse battles, and they would be celebrated by the people, and people would chant the victory, and they would lay down whatever they had to show their gratitude and how much they feel blessed by their king. So Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, which is the city of God, which is the the headquarters of everything in that culture, and he's coming in as a king, but he doesn't come in as a typical king. Jesus comes in riding on a colt instead of a horse. Everything Jesus does is on purpose. And the Bible tells you in that moment that he's fulfilling a prophecy given to us by prophet Zechariah that the Messiah would come this way, that he would not come as a Heidi, mighty king, but he would come as a humble king to show that his kingdom is not one of war, but is one of peace. He's not coming in the name of war. He's coming in the name of peace. Zechariah wrote this prophecy about five centuries before Jesus came to earth. Another prophecy that Jesus fulfills in his time on earth. Zechariah says, rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. So Jesus fulfills this prophecy about himself as he comes into Jerusalem. Now, you have to remember this, though, that Jews were used to going to Jerusalem. They would do the pilgrimage for certain festivals, and they would converge into Jerusalem. So thousands of people would be in Jerusalem around this time, especially the time of Passover. 
where they would come to sacrifice at the temple. But what's crazy to think about is the people were rejoicing that Jesus has come into Jerusalem and they were praising him. They were saying, Hosanna, which means the highest praise. Right? They were laying down branches, showing their honor and respect. But if you keep reading, five days later, some of the same people would be screaming, crucify him. Five days. Why? Because people had a certain understanding of what the Messiah would do. They were expecting a militant Messiah. They were expecting a Messiah that would overthrow the Romans and give them freedom in a moment. But Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. I came to establish the kingdom that doesn't necessarily have a throne on this earth. And so people didn't understand that. Why would a Messiah be arrested and crucified? And so they label him as another false Messiah, and they begin to yell, crucify him. Some of the same people who yelled, Hosanna, was yelling, crucify him. And I can't help but to make a quick point here to say, how fickle are we? That was for free. <laughs> but you know, a, a deep thing here, we all are going to struggle with this at some point in life. I don't mean this if, it's when. At some point in your life, God is not going to meet your expectations. And at that point, you have to make up your mind. Do I worship a God that only meets my expectations, or do I worship a God who has his own expectations, and I'm supposed to fit into it, not the way around it? So he comes into Jerusalem. The Bible tells you in verse 11 that he, he goes into the temple, and, and, and he just looks around as if to, like, inspect what's going on, as if to watch what's happening around him. Right? And I want to give you some perspective of this temple because I think sometimes we need a little visual to fully understand what's happening here. So I'm going to play a really short video to just give you a visual. It's a rendition. It's a computer rendition because obviously this is 2,000 years ago. No one had Instagram. But that would be dope, though. Can you imagine someone catching Jesus flipping tables? That would make a great TikTok. So this is a quick rendition of what the temple looked like, just to give you a perspective of where we're going. Okay, so are you guys ready? Go ahead and play it. Wow, indeed. This ain't your mama's church. <laughs> it's a massive place with a lot going on. And I want to give you a perspective before we get into this, that he leaves he stays in Bethany, which is about two miles from the temple. And most likely, he probably stayed with his friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And then he comes back to the temple the next day. But on the way back to the temple, Jesus curses a fig tree for not having any fruit. And at first glance, right, I don't know about you, but sometimes you read the Bible, you get asked these questions like, that sounds a little odd. 
and kind of petty, Jesus. Like, the fig has no fruit, and you're mad, Jesus. Right? I mean, that doesn't sound like Jesus, right? doesn't use his power to do things like that. And so, as usual, you have to remember that Jesus never does things just for the sake of doing them. There is a, a, a heavy point that he's making here that the Israelites will understand. He gave his disciples almost like a metaphor for what he was about to do at the temple. He gave them a glimpse of what this driving of people in the temple was all about. The symbol, my friends, please catch this. This moment is Jesus saying that religion without fruit is useless. This moment, it's a heavy moment because he's about to change the course of history as he goes to the cross. On the way to the cross, he is dismantling the very system that's been in place for centuries. And he's saying, without fruits, all of this religious work that you're doing is useless. Because faith without works is dead. Think about this. He's, the Bible gives you little details. It says this, this, this tree had leaves but no fruit. And please catch this this morning, that the, that the heart behind that message, this metaphor, is that we can do a lot of religious activity and we look busy, but it doesn't mean we're producing the right fruits. We can go to church and do a lot of churchy stuff and be extremely busy for the Lord and still miss the Lord in the process. So what Jesus is doing here, he's warning Israel, but he's also warning anyone who professed to know him and his will that God is not pleased when our lives are busy but fruitless. There was a lot going on in his temple. A lot of religious things happening in this temple. And if we fast forward to 21st century, a lot of times there's a lot of religious activities going on in our churches. But where's the beef? Where's the fruit? Jesus gave his disciples, he's given us a private illustration of what he was going to do at this temple. You have, to, you have to picture this in that temple, in that outer court before you go in, is where this, this driving of people away that Jesus did. Now picture this, there's thousands of people who would travel from far places to come converge into this temple to sacrifice on behalf of their sins. They're looking for penance. They're looking for God. They're looking for healing. They're looking for salvation. So they would have to buy an animal in this temple. And in order to buy an animal in the temple, you have to have the right temple currency. Just like when you travel overseas, you have to exchange your money, right? And if you ever travel overseas, you know that there are people waiting at the airport to exchange your money, and they know how to inflate in order to make money. So this is what's happening here in the temple of God. These money changers are exchanging currency for people to be able to sacrifice to God, but they're inflating it so they can make money off the people who are doing sacrifices for God. 
And this was all part of this religious system. The priests were part of this. The Romans were part of this. Why? Because you have to pay taxes to the Romans. And so in order for them to make money, they will inflate the money so they can pay the Romans and still make money for themselves. Are you tracking? The temple was filled with these money changers who worked with the temple priests, and they would inflate the prices of animals to turn a profit. And this happened right in the outer courts where the Gentiles who were Israelites were allowed to be, that they can praise, that they can worship, because all along God was saying, I don't want just you to worship me. I want everyone to have access to me. I read that one Passover, Josephus, the Roman historian, wrote down that one, in one Passover alone, 250,000 lambs were bought and sacrificed at the temple. 250,000 lambs. So picture the commotion that's happening in this place. The, the temple of God became a marketplace and a business transaction. A lot of money made in the name of God. Funny, we don't do that anymore. So he begins to drive out these money changers, and he begins to flip tables, and another version says he had a whip. Hello. We started this series 11 weeks ago talking about what would Jesus do. And sometimes I don't know what would Jesus do, because I didn't know he was going to make a whip <laughs> and drive out people in church. But usually when, you, when we talk about this, usually the conclusion that people usually make out of this passage is that, is that, you know, don't turn God's house into a place of business. Obviously, that's the obvious revelation. But remember, Jesus is always doing something much, much deeper. He's always doing something much deeper to reveal something that we can't understand on our own. So Jesus doesn't act out just for the sake of acting out. This is not Jesus being angry and mad. This is righteous indignation. This is righteous anger. He's making a point, right? Just like he did with the fig tree as he's coming into the temple. He's saying, listen, I'm about to show you that some of these religious things that we're doing, there's a lot of religious jargon, but there's no fruits attached to it, including what's happening in the temple. This was supposed to be a house of prayer of temporary relief from sin, where you can sacrifice, where you can spend time with God. And Jesus is making a point here that everything that you're doing is not really echoing God's heart. It's not deep enough. It's not real enough. It's not serious enough. The problem with religious people is, people, some religious people, they're so serious, but they miss God. This is not about how serious you are, how angry you are, how, you know, how scriptural you are. This is deeper than that. This is, where's your heart? What's your motives? What's your intentions? One greater than the temple is here. In a few days, in five days, he was going to make the temple obsolete. He was going to say all the sacrifices are coming to a halt. It was coming to a stop because the greater sacrifice is here. The temple was meant to be a temporary understanding of what Jesus was going to do for all eternity, which is to die for the sins of the world. 
The entire sacrificial system will be useless going forward, which means any sacrifice you think you're doing for God outside of his heart is void. Some people think they're making a sacrifice coming to church as if God has brownie points in heaven for you because you showed up. Some people really think they're doing God a favor by serving in a ministry. Some people really think today they gave a dollar and they did God something. Listen, my friends, these are empty, useless, fruitless sacrifices if it's not attached to the heart of God and why you're doing it in the first place. You have to understand, sin requires sacrifice. Since Adam and Eve sinned, God made it clear that you cannot enter my presence without sacrifice. God was the first one to sacrifice when he clothed Adam and Eve in the garden. He didn't banish them without grace. But he put angels at the entrance with flaming swords that you no longer will be able to come back in without sacrifice. In other words, if you try to come back in without the perfect sacrifice, you will pay with your price, with your life. So sin is heavy. Sin is real. Sin is not a, a little slap on the, on the wrist. You know, a lot of times we think, all I need is a little adjustment. No, no, no. Your little adjustment is not going to do it when it comes to sin. It's much deeper than that. You can try to enter, but you will pay with your life. So in the temple, God tries to give him an understanding of who he is. And if you, if, you, if you looked at that temple, I don't know if you noticed, but there was this really massive red curtains that would go all the way up that was to divide the regular sacred place from the Holy of Holies where the Shekinah glory of God, we talked about a few weeks ago, would reside. And once a year, only once a year, the high priest would have to go in there on the holiest day in the Jewish calendar called Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, to offer a sacrifice on behalf of the people. But this priest had to be purified for days and weeks because if he had any little unblemish in him, he would die. Not because God wants to kill him, because no impurity can reside in the presence of a holy God. And so to the point that they would, they would put a rope around his leg with bells on because they want to know if, there's a, if we can hear his bell, he's still alive. If we don't hear anything, we're going to have to pull him out because no one dares go into the Shekinah glory of God because whoever does, doesn't come back. We're talking about a holy, righteous, just God. This is what this temple was all about. And here they are. Missing the point of it by just doing transactions, but with no heart attached to it. Jesus comes to Jerusalem to die once for all for the sins of the world. And he's saying, all of this will be eliminated. In five days, you no longer have to sacrifice. In five days, you no longer have to go through the motions of religion. In five days, there's no more corruption. In five days, there's no more pretending. In five days, there's no more going through the motions of religion without fruits. In five days, the ultimate sacrifice will be given. And there's only one sacrifice left for you to do if you understand what Jesus has done on your behalf. You become 
a living sacrifice. Romans 12 puts it this way. It says, look, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies, not animals, to God. Because of all he has done for you, let them be a living and holy what? Sacrifice. The kind you will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. He says that's the only thing left to do. Once I die for the sins of the world, all your religious stuff is void unless you become a living sacrifice. Unless you become a place where the presence of God dwells. And now you offer sacrifices of worship. Worship, my friends, please hear me. It's not singing songs. Worship is how you live your life devoted, consecrated, committed to the will and the purpose of God. That's the worship that God is looking for. Because the Bible says you can sing, but your heart can be far away from him. You can put a $100 bill in the, in, the, in the offering plate and your heart could be far away from him. Matter of fact, sometimes you can do that because you want to worship yourself, not God. That's why people come to church demanding that we fit their criteria. You barely hear people say, I came to church to be a living sacrifice for Jesus. What you normally hear is, what's in it for me? And we wonder why we're miserable, because our religion is fruitless if we're not living sacrifices for Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? He said, my house would be a house of prayer. Another prophetic word. Jesus was quoting the prophet Isaiah, who lived seven hundred years before Christ came to earth. Isaiah said this about the temple. I will bring them to my holy mountain of Jerusalem and I will fill them with joy in my house of prayer. I will accept their burnt offerings and sacrifices because my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations. So says I'm coming to clear the way that every one who is seeking me can find me, and it's called a house of prayer because prayer is the ultimate thing that you have to give you communion with a holy God. Isn't that amazing? Well, we can do a lot of religious things and not have a prayer life. Saying grace over a meal is not having a prayer life. That's religion. Well, say grace before your meal. I have a prayer life. What is a prayer life? It's communion with God. A living, breathing God. A holy God. A God who wants to have a relationship with us. A God who says, hey, all of this is not working. I need to send my son to show you what a sacrifice actually looks like so you can stop doing your fruitless religious stuff and you can have an actual encounter with me that is real, that it permeates you from the inside out and transforms you and makes you a new person. A house of prayer for all nations. 
Because why does he say all nations? Because the Jewish people were supposed to be a beacon of light to the rest of the world, and they turned inwardly and made it about themselves. And 21st centuries later, I see church people doing the same thing. We get saved, and then we make it about us. The whole world going to hell. But here we are doing our religious stuff. All in the name of God, but missing God. Missing people in the process. It's time to end fruitless religious stuff. That's what Jesus came to do. Came to open a direct access to God. The temple, the veil, when Jesus is crucified, that veil is torn from top to bottom, saying now you have direct access to God. Jew, Gentile, male, female, black, white, Hispanic, Everyone has access to God. Who are we to put barriers where God has opened a door? We need a place to gather as God's people. But it's not to come and offer empty rituals and sacrifices, but to pray openly to our God. Many people go to a church building to fulfill a religious duty. Some people are in church right now all over this country out of duty, out of obligation, not out of devotion. Some people are there because it's a religious tradition passed down from generation to generation and missing the heart of God in the house, in the house, missing the point of why they're there in the first place. It's like, it's like the person who got married but then doesn't understand what marriage is. It's the guy who got married and still wants to live a bachelor life. It's the woman who got married, still wants to hang out with her girlfriends who are single. Quiet in this Baptist <laughs> church this morning. Many go because of guilt conscious. Why were they here sacrificing? Because sin makes you guilty. And you want to alleviate the pain of being guilty, and you're thinking, if I do these religious things, I will feel better. But the problem is, it's, it's never enough. It doesn't satisfy the hunger that we have for actually communion with God. That's why he's saying it's a house of prayer. Because something powerful happens when you begin to communicate with God himself. Not just go into the motions. Others go because it's traditions, but there's no godly fruit. A lot of religious activity with, without any heart transformation. That's what religion is. So I got a question for you this morning. Why are you here? Only you and God knows that. Why are you here in this temple this morning? Why are you watching? Why are you in forever? Could have been an IHOP. <laughs> Why are you here? See, Jesus dies to give us direct access to God the Father so we can pray to him as his children. Not as peasants. Not as beggars. Not as people who are paying to get to God. But people who God the Son has paid for you to freely get to God the Father. 
That's what Jesus came to do. That's the gospel. He fills us with his Holy Spirit. Catch this. So that you no longer go to a temple to offer fruitless religion, but that you may become a temple yourself. Tells you this in Corinthians chapter 6. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. You are now the temple of God's Holy Spirit. So when we converge into the temple on a Sunday, we converge as temples of God's Holy Spirit to offer sacrifices of worship and prayer and praise and serving and giving. Why? Because we already been bought with a high price. We're not trying to earn something. We are who he says we are. We do what we can do in his name and his power and his will. And so I don't have to try to earn my way to salvation. Salvation is a gift given to me by God the Father through his son Jesus Christ and by the touch and the anointing of his spirit over my life. So as temple of God's Holy Spirit, we must produce godly fruits. Here's why. Because it's impossible to have the spirit in you and not produce fruits. Unless you're still trying on your own strength. Jesus came to put an end to fruitless religious activities. Now catch this. This is where it gets really good. For us to bear fruits, he must cleanse our temple. Not a physical temple. He comes to Cleanse your temple. And if you're paying attention, he will turn some things around in your own heart, in your own mind. He will bring a whip and shape you into submission to his will, into his purpose. Because he says, I discipline those I love. So you're here today, and Jesus might be saying, I need to flip some things around in your life. You thought you were in charge. You made it all about you. You came to church with the mindset of, I'm just looking to see if this church will fit me. And Jesus is like, I didn't like that sermon. <laughs> Who that pastor think he is? I'll find another church. He'll be waiting for you there. <laughs> I think we think God has amnesia. <laughs> like you ever heard this, people say, I can't wait to leave New Bedford? Where are you going to go to get away from you? As if you move to California and your mindset changes because you're in the sun. You go and you leave your wife for the bimbo. 
Because Jesus is not satisfied to pay for your sins and then leave you in your sin. So you have a choice to make. You can stay in the fruitless, baseless religion and pretend you're good, or you can let him cleanse you and actually make you good in his will, in his righteousness. He said it. He said, I must cleanse you and prune you so that you may, brute, that you may bear more fruit. His words, not mine. Watch this. I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. Even in chastising you, he's loving you. Jesus is the parent that says, this is going to hurt me more, this is going to hurt you. How I many you know if you came earlier, that ain't true? <laughs> My parents didn't believe in timeout. They believe in knockout. <laughs> but how I many are grateful for discipline yeah. in your life? Because yeah. discipline... It's good for those who want to be a fruit, who want a meaningful life. Please write this down. The bottom line of this Christian journey is fruits. It's fruits. It's not what you say. It's not how many Bible verses you know, how many years you've been in church. That's all your fruitless, baseless religion that you have cooked up for yourself to feel better by yourself. It's about fruits. I don't care how, like, listen. I see it all the time. I was talking to a pastor in, 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 in our city today, this week, and we were talking about this. So many, quote-unquote, Christians who have gone rogue away from God's house because they think they know better. Yeah. But where's the fruit? Yeah. Where's the beef? All I'm seeing is a lot of salads. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing wrong with salads, but Jesus is looking for some fruit. What? This is the, here's, here's the question that we got to wrestle with, all of us. What needs to be cleansing you in order for you to produce the right fruits? Because as living sacrifices, you can look good on the outside. You can put on your Sunday best, but God goes straight to the heart. Business as usual is not going to cut it in God's kingdom. This is why he clears the temple, and he wants to clear our temple. We are to become people of prayer so we can produce much fruit. Because a prayer life will lead to a fruitful life. A prayer life, a, pray, a, a continuous communion with God is what I mean about a prayer life. And I'm not talking about the prayer ignorant warriors who say the same things over and over again, trying to unlock God's heart. <laughs> I'm talking about genuine pursuing of God because you love him and he loves you. A true communion with God, not drive-by religious prayers. Now, here's another question you got to consider today. Are the people closest to you seeing the fruits in you? Because we can all go to the main temple and put on a religious show. But it's the people closest to you who know, 
what you're truly producing. My conviction is, if my wife cannot amen my messages, I have no business preaching. If my kids cannot co-sign me as a pastor, I have no business being one. Because those are the people that I live with every day that can see, does he actually have fruits to back up what he's preaching about? And the first person I need to preach to is myself. We got to get serious about this. Am I producing the right fruits? And the people closest to us are the witness. People that see you every day, people that see you when you're not on, can really tell how serious this is. When I teach at a minister school, I always tell the young upcoming ministers is, I don't care how well you can preach. Anyone can do that. It's how well you live and what you're preaching. And who are you when no one is watching you? That's the real you. The you at two in the morning, that's the real you. No shows, no gimmicks, no one to impress. That's the real you. And guess what? That's the one that God loves, the real you. See, your church attendance is great, but that's just, that's just basic. Even tithing, people get all hung up on tithing. You know tithing is the most basic thing you're going to do? Tithing is elementary. The goal is, can you become a generous person? That's the goal. Serving, so elementary. Like, American Christians crack me up. We think serving is the greatest sacrifice. I showed up early today. Hey, that's the most elementary thing you will ever do is serve. As a matter of fact, why are you serving? It's for your own good. It's not even for anybody else. It's to shape you into becoming an actual useful person. And don't get me started on this I'm burnt out thing. No one seems to be burnt out out of streaming Netflix. But we all burnt out out of serving God. You're either bearing fruits or you're fruitless. Doesn't matter how religious you are. Paul says, look, here's what happens when you're being fruitless, and here's what happens when you're being fruitful. Right? Paul says this in Galatians. Watch this as I end here. Worship team, you guys can come out. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, which is easy to do, just be you. Which, by the way, that's what the world says, right? Do you. Well, do you. Here's what happens when you do you. The results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, Lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling. Man, we love quarreling in our day and age. You got a Facebook page, now you're, you, you, you are an expert. Jealousy, outbursts of anger, hello. Someone will leave church today and about to kill someone in the parking lot. 
Selfish ambition, dissension, division. Oh, division in the name of what? Scriptures. Because we're smarter than everybody else. Envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like this. Paul's like, I can't even label out of it. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Baseless, fruitless religion. But the beauty of this is when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of you and you have submitted your life to him and you have allowed him to cleanse you, you say, God, bring the whip if you have to. Here's the results. He goes on. Look, same, same chapter. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. He produces. We don't. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Can we use more people who are spirit-filled in our world? There's no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every, every part of our lives. My friends, it's time to end fruitless, baseless religion. Is your life truly submitted to Jesus and his will? And before you answer that question, let me remind you, you know it is by the fruits you produce. And only those closest to you could really tell. Only those closest to you could really tell, wow, man, he was angry, but lately... Lately, something has changed. Man, he was so obsessed with, with being right, but lately, there's a righteousness about him. Man, he was so quick to tell his opinion, but lately, it seems like he's, he's holding his tongue. He doesn't look tight about it. He looks happy about it. Because the Holy Spirit is working on him. He's working on her. It's changing her marriage. It's changing her parenting. Wow, look how she's parenting different lately. She's talking to her co-workers different lately. She's seeing co-workers as an opportunity to witness, not as an opportunity to whine and complain. Ah, he's going to the Word because, because he wants to find the heart of God, not to find the verses to back up his opinion. He's coming to church because he understands now he's a temple and he gets to meet with other temples and together they can worship this living God. And when they worship this living God, there's an exchange between heaven and earth that takes place as the temples worship, heaven responds to the worship of people who are worshiping not out of their lips, but they're worshiping out of their hearts. So why did you come today? 
You can come for the wrong reasons, but you don't have to stay there. Come as you are, yes, but don't stay as you are. That's the beauty of this. Let the Lord transform. Because here's my last point today. John 15, 8, Jesus' words. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings me, this brings glory to my Father. That's the will of God. That's the will of God. Would you stand with me as we pray this morning? And I encourage you today, forever, online, in person, make a decision to end baseless, fruitless religion routines. All you have to do is invite the real sacrifice to come into your life, to forgive you, to empower you, and to enable you now to live life above sin and mediocrity and to stop living this selfish Christianity that is about what can I get as opposed to God, what do you want to do in and through my life? As we've been doing lately, we've been making room for us to pray. This song is an invitation to prayer. This house is a house of prayer. You know why we come to the front? I don't know if I have explained this to you the right way. But when you come to the altar, you're coming as a sacrifice. You're coming to die. You're coming to die to your selfishness. You're coming to die to your old self. You're coming to say, Lord, I'm not leaving this place without your anointing, without your power, without your will. I want a fresh touch. It's a fresh week. I want to get out there under the power and the covering of your Holy Spirit so I can represent you well and actually bear fruits that people can say, wow, look, here goes a follower of Jesus Christ. That's why we come. We willingly give ourselves to the Lord. That's what the altar is about. They used to sacrifice animals at the altar. Now we become living sacrifices for Jesus. So as we sing the song, you're welcome to come and sacrifice. You're welcome to come and die. You're welcome to come and let go of the past so you can get a hold of the present and the future that God has for you. So Father, we pray that our lives would be holy and pleasing to you. It's our worship. We come, Lord, not to, not to check a religious box. We came to be living sacrifices. So Holy Spirit, fall fresh on each and every one of us in this house and online and forever. As we worship you, Lord, meet us and change us from the inside out, we pray in Jesus' name. Come on, let's worship. We hope this talk has encouraged and challenged you. If it was helpful, share with a friend. For more info, visit newlifesouthcoast.com. Until next time, have a blessed week.